Welcome to Return of the Hack, the discussion series that brings you cyber stories behind the technology. I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and my guest today is Barrett Mystery, Technical Director at Trend Micro. We're discussing risk management. It's a key part of cybersecurity, from the alignment to business strategy to understanding the attack surface. We'll explore how to understand and improve risk posture and simple ways to use risk to prioritize IT strategy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Return of the Hack, the podcast from E92+. Plus. Uh, today, I'm joined by Barrett from Trend Micro. Hi, nice to see you. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm all good. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Been a busy week, but um, yeah, nice, nice relaxing. All good. Day. There's always plenty going on in cybersecurity to keep us nice and busy. So um, thank you very much for joining us today. If you want to kind of give a little background uh, about yourself and your role at Trend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm the technical director here at Trend Micro. Been in this role for the last two years. Been at Trend overall eight years. So started life as an SE and then strategist and then more lastly, as technical director, and I look after the solution engineers and in-life delivery teams called custom service managers. And I did that for UK Knowledge. Excellent. That's great. Thank you. And today um, we're going to have a chat about, uh, chat about uh, cybersecurity and risk in particular and how organised can take a, a risk-based approach. So from, from your perspective, where is the kind of state of cybersecurity now and, and how risk plays in a, a role in, in how most organisations approach them in terms of strategy? Yeah, we're at this kind of pivotal transition point. So depending on the maturity of an organization, um, cyber risk is taking kind of different forms. Um, if I look at the vast majority of the SMB community that we talk to, and even the kind of lower end of the uh, top enterprise, risk, and specifically cyber risk, isn't perceived as business risk. Um, and it's contained as a technology risk at the end of the day. So what happens is when IT teams or security teams are looking at um, measures and countermeasures, it's very much based on the current threat situation and putting in measures against that. So invariably, you know, budgets are kind of, um, I would say, not deemed to be enough because everyone's going after best of breed point solutions and that's just not sustainable. Um, and when you look at this, uh, when, oh, sorry. when you look at risk from a business perspective, um, the two don't equate because the language and the terminology is very different. When, when we look at cyber risk, it's all about speeds and feeds, and the way it gets reported is about speeds and feeds and threats and attacks and bits and bytes. When we talk about business risk, we want to know asset value, uh, the effects of compromise, bottom line impact on the business, you know, what revenue is going to impact, and then the two don't equate. And, and so we're at this kind of um, chasm where you've got the business on one side and you've got IT and, and security on the other side. And actually, it's, it's worse than that. You've got IT in the middle and, and cyber at the bottom. Of this part. And, and the, the message does not get translated through. Um, and we're in this position now where actually the board is ever so more aware of um, cyber threats and the impact of the business. And so it's like an inherent interest in what's going on. They're always asking the question, are we protected? What does our posture look like? And then when you get the information back that says, oh, we had so many D DDoS attempts in this month, yeah. we had so many phishing um, attacks and this and that, it just does not have bear any context of meaning to the board. 
If you equate it back into, okay, we had so many phishing attempts and they targeted the CEO, the CMO, and somebody else with this kind of style, then it does have an impact because then it automatically tells the board, actually, some of our high value assets in this case, people assets are being targeted over a range, over a campaign that could have lasted months, days, weeks, or years. And, and it, we can start to take some positive action on the back of that. But to get to that kind of level, um, we have to change the stance on security. So if you look at most organizations, they take a blanket approach to security. And, 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 and largely, you know, that's what practitioners would do. You want to do security by policy and through a standard kind of process runbook. And that kind of makes sense and not doing anything by exception. But actually, when you go to apply the controls, you don't have an infinite budget. And so the only way to make use of that budget in the most cost-effective sense is to take a risk-based approach to security. And by that, I mean actually identify the assets, tag them in terms of criticalities of the business, apply some risk modeling against those assets, and then understand what the control measures need to be. So there's no point spending a thousand pounds to protect an asset that's only worth one pound and the converse is true as well right there's no point spending uh one pound to protect an asset that's worth a thousand pounds so you've got to take that into account you've got to look at the exposure that it takes on board and then you can work out what the strategy needs to be on the back of it so um do i accept the risk do i mitigate the risk and i reduce the risk do i transfer the risk yeah bury my head in the sand and forget about it, right? So, so, so there are various options. And when you put it into that kind of context, you're actually starting to get the best value in terms of measures and controls in relation to the exposure and impact that it has on your organization. So I suppose in a roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is that you've got a finite budget. How do you spend your budget on security in the right areas? And the way to do it is to prioritize it in terms of what has maximum exposure in terms of bottom line revenue and brand reputation to the business. Yeah, it's, it's getting organizations to take an approach that I think they, they haven't before. We've definitely seen, I suppose, over the last few years, businesses pivot to, you, you know, being able to understand how they can leverage technology around digital transformation, everything that means everyone's going to be a digital, everyone's going to be a software company, which... Yeah. I think we can probably take that with a, a pinch of salt to an extent, but th- they recognize the value technology can do and therefore using it in a proactive way. But cybersecurity and risk is probably still viewed as being a reactive measure. It's a precautionary. It's a, it's an insurance as much as anything else. So it's organizations have to be changing their mentality, I think, from, you know, and, and, and that's the way a lot of cybersecurity is switching from a, a defensive reactive approach to a proactive you know, yeah. kind of threat hunting a little bit more. We're at that point where I think organizations are now beginning to, to, to pivot. And that, that risk-based approach that you take kind of needs to combine those things because they need to understand that risk not as a kind of worst-case scenario or business continuity. It's proactively understanding what does their what does the, the risk look like? What are those assets? Where are they all? They need to be proactive finding that and, and profiling them, as you say, because not every not every asset is born equal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to what I was talking about the board, the board understands a risk register. Yeah. They understand everything. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, businesses are going to take risks to make, make money, right? And, and so security needs to fall in line with that. The problem is, and you know, I said 
touched on it before, it's seen as, as technological. Cyber is very much seen and perceived by the board as technological, and it sits yes. purely with the IT team. The reality is no. It sits across the enterprise. All business unit owners, be it HR, legal, marketing, they all carry a responsibility for what I would say is information security and ultimately cyber security as well. Yeah. Um, and, and it's got to be treated as a business-wide risk, and it needs to be elevated and reported in that kind of context. Because uh, when you start doing that, you automatically start getting out the realms of finger pointing that when it goes on. Yeah. At the moment, when we see any kind of attacks and like the first port of call is always the security team. What are you doing about it? What happened? Right. And actually, let's step back a little bit and say, we understand this risk across the enterprise and we can see what areas that we need to tackle. And, and the other thing is, you know, the most important thing here is, I, I know I'm talking from a, vent, from a vendor's perspective, it's not about the technology. Mm. Believe it or not, in seven out of 10 use cases, it can be dealt by people and process. So if you've got the right kind of programs in place, certainly around the people with awareness, understanding the implications of bad side behind you and just making some small changes, you can make a huge amount of difference. Same in processes as well. Some of these processes that have been put in place um, from a security team and they have no relevance to the day-to-day -day running of an organization. And, and this is why you get a lot of, I would say, shadow IT going on. Yeah. People circumventing the controls because the security team perceived as the office of no. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're getting in the way of getting business done day to day. Um, and, 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 you know, this is the other problem. Security teams, I know there aren't that many security individuals, but if they did take time out to understand the business flow and understand the day-to-day -day pains of what's going on, I think we'd have a better, more proactive security model because all, all of a sudden, you know, by just switching the right mindset in people below, you could make this switch from just bad cyber hygiene to potentially good cyber hygiene by not yeah. just randomly clicking on things or opening things or processing in a way that, you know, you just wouldn't normally do. Um, and, and like I said, you know, reporting it in a kind of business risk context will, will have a positive impact on that. Yeah, it's finding the most effective way to bridge that gap because, you know, one of the things we kind of kind of hear, heard the conversations in cybersecurity around, you know, security by design and engineering, you yeah. know, security teams shouldn't be an isolated security team, a sub-function of IT. It should be embedded in everything that we that we do. Absolutely. So it, it's encouraging them to have that and, and without fear. But equally, it's making sure, I think there's a responsibility definitely on us as an industry to, to talk more about, in a non-technical way, about yes. business functions. And I think... I think it's fair to say probably as, a, as an industry, we're probably a little bit guilty of not doing that quite so well, of reaching across the divide. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we are. And, and you know, it comes down to really, if you think of how, about how some CISOs have come into place, it's been through a natural progression. They've been either uh, an IT manager or senior IT architect or a security architect, which have then come into a CISO type role. And so your mindset is always in, the tech and the threats, and which is quite yeah. to a degree. But when you're talking higher up, you've got to switch the language to a business context. And it doesn't always help itself, but by the fact that CISOs report into the CIO of an organization and they don't have a direct sitting on the board. Um, I think, you know, if, if, um, if, if CISOs were 
It's kind of a broad level seat. It could have a different impact. Uh, and we start to see these titles called business CISOs or BISOs. Yeah. And you can see some some of the more mature organizations are going down that path. Um, and, and really, that's the way it needs to go. Uh, also, when you look at it from a reporting point of view, the dashboards don't help because it gives you numbers for threats, feeds, but there's no consequential impact information. And what I mean by that is we've got this underlying IT infrastructure and we map threats and alerts onto that. So from an IT point of view, it has some meaning, but from a business point of view, it's got no meaning until you actually map those threats onto what I would say is a service chain. And that service chain could be actually it's this set of servers, it's this part of the network, it's these storage devices, and these are the components that make up this tier one service for me. And then when you kind of elevate the threats up through a chain like that, you automatically see, actually forget the thousand email alerts I'm seeing over there, because they don't mean anything. It's the three yellow alerts on this platform or this, this infrastructure chain that matter to me and I need to respond to that. Yeah. And this is where, again, what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to tie in a bit of that exposure information with risk to give you some sense of priority, along with what I would say is um, uh, real-time threat information to give you a feel for what should I action right now. So it's that actionable intelligence to say, I've got something that matters to the business on, on the left-hand side, and I can see potential exposure here. I've got real-time threat information coming in from my dashboards here, and what we're trying to do is draw the picture on what I'll lay one on top of the other to say, forget this, forget that. It's those four or five things I need to focus on first before I do anything else today. Yeah, and those and those trains are getting longer and more complex, you know, without a doubt, you know, kind of whether it's cloud infrastructures, whether it's APIs into kind of, you know, kind of customer or partner, it's supply chain, it's IoT, OT, you know, that, 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 that kind of whole area. And I suppose that's kind of where we kind of come on to that, that growing area. We're seeing a lot of buzz now around uh, attack surface management and managing what, what that surface looks like, all of those services and, you know, that extended chain out there. It yeah. is becoming more complicated, um, you know, kind of businesses are driving that in a, in, a, in a good way. But that means IT are potentially getting less and less visibility because because the, 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 the whole map is growing. Well, they're underpowered, right? It's a lack of resources and, and you couldn't do it right now. I mean, pre-pandemic, I would say organizations had some control because yeah. majority users would be in the enclave, which is your on-premise environment with a data center and things like that. And the users would access private and confidential data within your organization. But with the pandemic, wow, it's gone exponentially loose, right? So people are accessing data on the move at home from different locations, from different times of day, from different uh, devices as well, no longer the corporate. So you can see the whole potential attack surface has just grown exponentially. So that, that, that's one aspect we need to factor in. And then the thing is, if you look at traditional security, and I talked about risk management before, you could do it if, if you can control the environment that you're in. So if, if the enclave is your own on-premise data center and people are in the office, you can control that and you can try to manage it within a reasonable time frame. We're now in the situation where people are working from home, 
they're not only accessing internal resources, which are in the data center, but they're taking cloud-based resources as well. And they're doing it through a number of different platforms. And they could be SaaS platforms, they could be some private platforms, they could be from devices that are corporate owned and non-corporate owned. And the thing is, how do you manage and control? How do you understand the exposure around that? Yeah. You could do it manually, but you should be there for years and be out of date. Yeah, because yeah. Very much changes, right? So you, so you need a mechanism that's going to give you that constant visibility of what the attack service kind of looks like. And we're talking from soup to nuts here. And what I mean soup to nuts is everything from an end user touches. So yeah. me as an identity, to the device that I touch, to the network that I go over, to the cloud service that I pick up the internal resources that I actually action, right? So yeah. you've got to do over the whole piece. And you've got to do it in real time to have an understanding of what the exposure, and then you can map it to, as we talked about before, that service chain to then take some remedial action. And again, the remedial action, you could do it manually, but you'd then be forced yeah. to change windows and things like that. Whereas if you can automate a lot of that kind of remedial action through API integration, as we talked about, through automation, through other processes, we can start to think about, actually, I can reduce the level of risk uh, that's open to me, do something very quickly, and then change and adapt accordingly. As, as the threat landscape is changing, I'm also changing at the same time. Yeah, but a lot about risk is, is also kind of accepting that you need to take a pragmatic approach, that you can't do everything. And I think sometimes in, in cybersecurity that, you know, there's been a, you know, kind of, especially in some vendor messaging, it's been a case of, oh, it's if, not what, you know, it's a case of when, not if, sorry, in terms of when you're going to get breached. But I, I, there's still a bit of a reluctance, I think, to fully embrace that because no one wants to say you can't be safe. Everybody feels that, okay, it's likely to happen, but we want to be safe. But do we need to kind of be a little bit more pragmatic? Do we, is it a case of having to play percentages because you literally can't cover everything? You want to automate, you want to, you want to use technology to be able to, to cover what you can. But sometimes risk involves giving a focus on high risk. And if it's low risk, then you do need to take a more pragmatic approach to it. Yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, Neil. It's about playing the percentages. It's a gambling yeah. game at the end of the day, right? Um, do not believe any vendor that says uh, this is a bulletproof solution because it's not, it never is, yeah. it never will be, right? Um, purely because, you know, that solution in isolation will do a function. Yeah. But it needs to be tweaked, maintained, monitored, and adapted on an ongoing basis. The reality is that, that this is how vendors will generally tend to sell their solutions, certainly the point vendors. Yeah. The thing is, how far do you go with that? You know, I've, I've worked with many organizations that have got 60, 70 different vendor solutions that overlap in terms of capability. And they're in this position whereby the return on the investment is minimal. Uh, actually, in one organization, they had three full-time employees just looking after the infrastructure. And what I mean by that is they're just maintaining the platforms, patching and, and doing the annual kind of uh, maintenance on it. Yeah. And maybe writing the run books. They're not actively using their skills as threat analysts to be doing the day-to-day -day operational work of what they need to be doing. So you can see the impact that it has on an organization. You know, security investment is not cheap. 
and 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 this is why <laughs> this is why boards see it. Oh my god, it's like something that's going to add nothing to my bottom line. That's the perception because the cost of the technology is high. And you can see when you've got that kind of, of environment, and you've got you know thirty, forty, fifty different vendors, your kind of level of risk is high because any integration work that you do, any changes that you make. You have to really think about the net impact that has on the rest of the platform. Yeah. So, give an example. You know, if you've got an endpoint, I've got four different vendors' technology on there, or five different. One could be doing kind of anti malware and, and kind of threat detection. The other one could be EDR. One could be a DRP. One could be some other technology that's doing data classification, things like that. So, you've got four or five pieces of technology on there straight away. How do I know that if I make a change on one of them, what's the net impact going to be on the other two? Yeah. You just don't know. And so you've got to kind of understand the impacts of that. The other thing is where I've got almost similar technologies, how do I know the information being reported up has got synergy between it? So if I've got, a, let's say I've got a host-based firewall reporting something and my anti-malware or anti-threat solution is reporting something, the reality is those two things together actually mean something but when you're seeing in isolation you don't form that picture and very few vendors have this ecosystem whereby they are willing to not only set the alert levels the same so let's say vendor a calls this alert a minor vendor b might call it critical and, and that's the other disparity that kind of yeah. goes with so that that's the first problem the second problem is We've got all these tools, and you ask some basic questions, are we in danger and what's going on? You end up jumping from machine to machine or console to console trying to create a picture. And that gets away from what I talked about earlier, and that's having a consistent runbook. Because you want a consistent process to run. You know, and when I see this and that, this is the action that I want to follow and make it repeatable every time. It's impossible to do when you've got so many different tools. I, I, I get, you know, as you get further down in investigation, it's going to become bespoke, and that's the way it should be. But certainly for frontline triage, where a lot of these alerts come in, you want to be able to hit it off very quickly and with automation. There are way too many alerts coming into the SOC right now yeah. to manually triage and go through and say, this is of no good, this is of something. Or, you know, By the time you've seen something and then actioned it, it could be too late. It could be three months, four months, five months down the line before something happens, you know, an action. Um, the reality is you want to get rid of the noise and focus on what you have to really focus on. The only way that can really work is by doing some ground-level integration, you know, something at the raw telemetry level, as it pieces together, as you can start to apply some correlation across that, those kind of telemetry sensors, and creating what I would say is almost like a workbench that says actually this is a workbench I need to action because it's got some information in terms of service impact, it's got some information in terms of exposure, it's got some information to the threat stream and then we also look at live threat information from the raw internet so you know, this is what's happening. You can then create a very fast picture as to what's happening and take some proactive steps as to say um, to not would say remediate, but at least certainly alleviate some of the pressure that's going on. Yeah, I suppose the problem is, is every vendor's technology always thinks that that's the primary primary one, and 
and you know and, and, and again a lot of cybersecurity kind of if you take a i suppose if you traditionally if you take a risk-based approach a risk-based approach could be just to add more layers um you know and then you know that and that, that's been historically that's that was a sound you know kind of defense in depth layered approach but as you say the problem is is you then get multiple layers upon layer you get or duplication of, of yeah. you know of alerts and what have you and so uh, you know we because of the i think in an acknowledgement you can't you can't rip and replace everything i think there's been a there's and and the, definitely the move towards kind of apis and more integrated systems we, you know we hear a lot more about ecosystems from a partner and a channel perspective but definitely from a technology is I, I think you know you definitely kind of seeing out there a lot more technology vendors being a lot more kind of open and i suppose a bit more humble in terms of the fact that you know that, that there isn't a silver bullet but the way that they can help customers leverage roi has to be through integration and being able to use the best elements of your technology to be able to leverage the best elements of somebody else who arguably might be a bit of a competitor but they're, they're, you're both in place so you need to make it work yeah no absolutely i mean organizations are heterogeneous in their nature yeah. or they might have you know might I think if, if any anyone's thinking, oh, yeah, I can kind of rationalise two or three vendors, I think those days are gone. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have some vendors, you know, some strategic vendors across the piece. The key to it is how do these, um, I wouldn't say point solutions, but sub-platforms talk to each other and communicate. Um, and certainly the standards-based approach is one way of doing that. You know, in, the, in the past, we've, we've talked about things like sticks and taxi for, for threat sharing. Um, having those open interfaces is another way of doing that. Certainly, you know, I can talk about it from a trend micro context, right? So we are working with our competitors, so people like Palo Alto, to work integrate with their Cortex platform right now so we can do a bit of threat sharing so that anything from our Vision 1 platform can be consumed by, for example, um, the SOAR platform and simplify within within Palo Alto, for example. Yeah. That, that works. Likewise, we have integrations going the other way that our Vision 1 platform can talk to um, infrastructure players like Checkpoint and Cisco as well, whereby we can direct in-line you know, new information to prevent active channels being blocked because we know there's a threat actor potentially sitting on the back of it what's connected to a threat actor. So the integration ecosystem has to work in like three dimensions, really. One is kind of the underlying infrastructure that you need to play with and understand that, you know, there are component parts that you need to kind of co-reside with. And a good example of this is, you know, where let's say an organization has deployed Microsoft Defender across a piece, our Vision 1 sensor can co-reside with that. So you're getting... The best of both worlds you get in Microsoft across a piece in terms of uh, the standard blueprint, and then you get a Vision One capability through our Vision One sensor on that endpoint to give you the XDR piece, so you can sit back and together. Likewise, that information from the workbenches can then be propagated out through an API connection with source plates again using standard interfaces where possible. Um, and and we've got a lot of investment this year alone into working across the piece in terms of identity providers, in terms of firewall vendors, in terms of detection vendors, uh, EDR vendors as well. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Um, so yeah, so we're, we're kind of playing a cross piece um, and recognize that everyone's going to have, I wouldn't say a mixed estate, but they're going to you know, put their, hedge their bets on some key vendors and we're trying to work in that ecosystem of partners. Yeah. Um, and like I said, uh, one of the key things that we, I'm not quite sure where we are now, but there was a drive to go down the stick shifter route whereby an organization running a top level saw could write a standard query and then they can then use that query across multiple vendor sub platforms. So, for example, the platform that we have within Trend Micro, um, Vision One is the kind of gateway into that. And then using the standard query that you use for us, we could then use for Palo Alto or Cisco or Checkpoint and get the same kind of information out of it. That, that, that's where the industry has to go. Um, certainly to kind of um, get a consistent view across the enterprise. Yeah, and and has that kind of rise in in, in the popularity and the, the, the kind of the buzz around XDR kind of, you know, that's been the kind of flag bearer, I suppose, for organisations and technology companies taking a more integrated approach where, you know, you, you, it needs to be cross-functional, it needs to be, you know, across your network, it needs to be across multiple cybersecurity technologies to integrate. And I suppose that's been an example of where the industry is kind of, you know, embracing it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. It's a new yeah, product to sell still, but hey, if, yeah, it, yeah. if it gets us in the right direction, that's good. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we've, we've spoken about the technology a lot and, and really, you know, Mike, what, what I would say is, if you're starting from the ground again, ground up, you know, I, I would say take a framework-based approach. Get get a cybersecurity framework and think about how that framework uh, would lend itself in times of, let's say, kind of four functional areas. So you've got the underlying technology framework that sits underneath, and that would cover your main domains. So, you know, your kind of your endpoint, your data center and cloud, your network, your email and web domains. But then it's the layers above that. So you're going to have your operational layer. You're going to have your governance layer that sits on top of that. And then you're going to have your ecosystem layer on the side. The question is, how do I use this framework and then map on my um, strategic partners on top of that and work out what's going to work out where? Um, th th this works in a number of places because, A, the integration story becomes a lot cleaner. It's like you can say, actually, I, I might go down a platform route based on the framework that I have. And, and the platform route might say, actually, as a platform, there are some technology solutions that sit across an endpoint or maybe email across a network or, or maybe across the world. And you might take a risk approach, say, actually, we know vendor A is really good in cloud and data center. They have some capability in endpoint, which we will take because we know that their capability, okay, it's not top right-hand corner for Gartner, but actually yeah. for the use case that we have, they've got 80% of the functionality that we want. Actually, the main risk that we have, it covers the risk. We're not bothered about that 20% USB, we don't ever going to use it. And the best example I've seen of that is DLP a few years ago. DLP vendors were out there, like one to uh, McAfee, Veronis, uh, and a few others. And they always used to leverage their story around that top 20% USP, but actually when it comes to deployment, it's the 80% use case, which is, I've got some confidential data, I don't yeah. stop it going out. It's not yeah. about doing the complicated workflow on the back of it or anything like that. For the majority of users, it was just, I want 
you know, if data is going out from a laptop onto a USB key, it needs to be automatically encrypted or something needs to happen to it. Yeah. And what you find is the majority of plat- platform players in this space, they can, they can provide that capability at next to no, I would say, additional cost in terms of implementation and certainly no additional licenses, but the capability there, it may not be there to the full extent as a niche player, but, you know, it, it could be enough for what you need to do. But it's, it's take going back to that risk-based approach of kind of acknowledging that you do you need to take a, a pragmatic view on things. Yeah. You're not going to be able to cover a hundred percent of everything. So it's where is where your focus is, where your organization's greatest risk vulnerabilities, confidential data and assets it's held, and then focusing yeah. on you know protecting them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's like you know protecting your house. You're going to focus on the areas that are the most important part. You know, if you've, if you've got a Ferrari and you've got it in the garage, I, I guarantee you, you're going to put all your money into locking that garage and yeah. surveilling that garage. Forget the front door and everything else, right? That, that doesn't matter. Yeah, you're not going to worry about the TV quite so much if it's, uh, yeah, if it's a 435 sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, your, your finance assets and you know, assets that actually generate revenue day in, day out, which are absolutely mission critical. Focus and energy needs to be there first and foremost. And then you've got to yeah. look at, like I said, you know, what happens if? What happens if that was to happen? And how do we deal with it? And you come up with some standardised blueprints on, on that. Yeah. And when we're talking about risk and, and and touching on supply chain, you know, it's an increased com- complex area for businesses that they are now going to have to understand the risk and the impact, not just on their own business, but actually potentially the impact they will have on their partner's business across the supply chain. So is that is that impacting how they view these things? Because if they've got APIs, they've got integration, then, then an attack on them could impact their customers. And that's an exponential risk. We often talk about kind of the impact on customers from a consumer, like a data breach, for example. But we've seen with supply chain attacks, it's not just about losing that customer data. It's actually being the entry point in to your to your uh, business customers, which yeah. exponentially is even greater. Yeah, I mean, the supply chain, the whole supply chain risk over the last 24 months has increased massively, you know, with things like solar winds happening. It's just elevated the importance of it. Um, traditional supply chains, you know, where you've got physical hardware being deployed, you know, the, the risk levels were a little bit lower because it's physical entities. But now where we've got software, so software bill of materials coming through an electronic chain, my God, yep. where do you even begin? How, yep. how do you even attest that, you know, this, this, software mechanism or software libraries that, that we're using and bear in mind these libraries are twofold right either they could be developed functionality through a software house that you might have a supply chain relationship with and and again you can maybe impose some standards and, and element of it in there but it's the open source channel that carries the most exposure and we've seen a lot of developers moving that way. Open source is a flavor of the month. It has been for a number of years, but more yeah. so now than ever, especially when there's a lot of pressure on developers to get functionality out the door very quickly to get that competitive edge. You know, you've got business analysts constantly near of developers saying, we want to do this, want to do that. And developers are saying, well, I've seen this. I've seen this functionality. Somebody's already done this. I can just pull it from GitHub. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll go, right? Nothing wrong with a bit of copy-paste. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, 
open source. Why not? You know, it's there free to use. But the problem is the inherent risk that that carries is, is huge because if you've got some libraries and these libraries, they're not just like one layer deep. They could be like 10, 12, 15 layers deep. Uh, and what we're starting to see is infiltration much, much lower down the stack. And it could be a replica of a GitHub repository that someone's then kind of changed, put some malicious code in, rebadged it in another way. It could be because it, anyone can fork off a development chain in GitHub. Yeah. And you can do what you want and then you can market it how you want. All it takes is one of them to go wrong. And then that's a whole route into your your enterprise that you would never even thought about. I, I know you jokingly said that um, companies aren't technology companies uh, through and through, but I, I, I think they are. With digital transformation, what we're seeing is the whole uprising shift and change from the core business to also being technology companies in the main. Yeah. Um, if you look at, you know, fast-moving consumer goods, for example, those organizations, they are becoming technology companies because they're having to think about uh, logistics, distribution, supply chain, and this is forwards and backwards in the supply chain as well. They're getting uh, material, raw material coming in in the form of physical things, but also software and digital assets that are coming in. They're also going out as well. And um, certainly on the outbound side, what we're starting to see is customers now actually mandating and dictating that um, the supplier um, holds a minimum standard, something that we can attest to. I know cloud providers have managed to get away with it so far. Yeah. You can't just randomly go to a cloud provider and say, I want to audit everything that we've got. You've got to take their word for it and take their certificates. But if I'm a manufacturer of some goods and I want to partner with somebody else, um, it's getting to that point where actually uh, your customers are now starting to say, actually, we want to know that, that compliance level that you're going to adhere to. We want to be in a position where we can send an independent auditor into your environment as yeah. well and check and do a spot check and tell us what, what the situation is. And for some organizations, it's actually taking them out of the loop because they're not in a position to do it. The cost of doing it is too expensive. Um, and, and I think in reality is some are frightened to do it because they just don't know what the exposure looks like. So, no, and they don't necessarily know what they've got. And I suppose it's kind of interesting. That's kind of on one end of the scale where you have that, that open source and all those those kind of, that you know, kind of access to, to all of that code that you may well have kind of then used and you don't really understand kind of what you've got or what you, your, your potential kind of exposure level to, to on the other side, much more kind of proprietary where you look at kind of OT and SCADA systems, yes. which which are which are kind of the other end of the scale, but equally just as complicated and, and not ones that infrastructure teams have necessarily always got involved with because it's it's kind of more legacy infrastructure. It's 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 more yeah. operational. It, it can't be it can't be patched and managed by WSUS. So yeah. the IT team don't necessarily want to go. But but and again we've seen plenty of examples of that where where from a risk perspective, it's more it's complicated, but if you're in, you're 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 fully in. And and, and and not discoverable necessarily. Absolutely. In that whole IoT and the industrial IoT space is a completely different ball game because you've got a different community of people who don't they they understand cyber but they don't want to practice or no that, that, let me get this right they're in a position with the risk of 
taking standard cyber hygiene practices and enforcing it in that environment could be mission critical. Yeah. So you can't just, as you say, you can't just randomly patch or take down a machine or do this or do that. Yeah. There are so many implications to that. You know, the worst, the worst one is, will the actual vendor of that kit support it if I do put some anti-malware detection capability on here or if I apply this patch? Things are getting better. But in that whole space, it is a completely different ballgame. You know, the emphasis is around safety first and foremost, and then it's about availability and integrity. Whereas in the IT space, it's very much the other way around. It's about integrity, availability, and then confidentiality. So it's, it's getting that kind of mix and operational set up right. But what I will say is, you know, the way digital transformation is going, convergence is happening. Convergence is happening on all fronts. Uh, we're seeing convergence in kind of data center, we're seeing convergence on the endpoint, and now we're seeing convergence in that IoT space where IoT equipment is being converged onto the IT network, but also into public cloud. If you look at programs like Industry 4.0, for example, where edge technology is taking real-time data from um, uh, things like um, PLCs and controllers on the production floor or could be yeah. a organization. Feeding that up to a cloud engine where analytics are being done on the fly to understand actually if we tweak this, tweak that, we could change this and we could improve that. Yeah. That's, that's where the end game is. The thing is people are wanting to do that, but they're not always understanding the risk of doing it in a, just a flat, open manner, being just saying, okay, I'm going to point some data over there. Yeah. The cloud provider actually taking some countermeasures to understand what could happen in that route and what what do we need to take up take care of first and foremost. Um, yeah, it's, it's just now starting to be about. Yeah, so kind of just beginning to yeah, kind of kind of wrap up because you covered a lot of areas and we, you kind of mentioned at the at the, at the at the top around organisations needing to kind of move to a more kind of you know a framework based approach and, and it's clear that. You know, the, the sheer complexity means that IT and cyber, if cyber is a subset of IT, are absolutely not going to be able to do this all themselves. But equally, they're already probably a little bit understaffed and under-resourced. How are you seeing kind of best practice in terms of organizations being able to to, to bring the business into that, um, to be yeah. able to understand and equally kind of get themselves more embedded in the rest of the organization so they're not a, they're not a tick box afterthought? So it, it, it's a cultural change that needs to start from the top uh, at the board. And you need a board-level sponsor who's going to drive, I'll call it a cyber program, but it, it's, it's broader than that. It, it's, it's around risk and you know, who, who owns the overall risk register. And as we map that down, actually the cyber risk is something that's owned by all the BUs. So all the business units, so marketing, legal, HR, everyone has a cyber ownership responsibility and a cyber champion. Now, we've seen it in some organisations, they call it information security champions, but really it's just an extension of the same thing. Yeah. And once you get to that, because they're the people that understand the business function that they do in the day-to-day -day processes. So they, they ultimately, you know, if, if they draw it all the way back to things like the crown jewels, the crown jewels are the data. And they're the data custodians. It's not someone in the IT team that understands the value of this data, for HR, but for legal and marketing. It's only people in that team understand. And so they understand the consequential kind of uh, processes and actions around that and what the impact of it being comprised actually means. So it starts from there. Um, 
cyber in the context of IT teams and, and, and kind of, you know, the CIO function, they're there to provide, I would say, the controls framework to give them an idea of what is capable from a technology standpoint. But the people in the process side has got to be shared across the business. That has to happen. Yeah. The operational side, so the day-to-day monitoring and, and, and eyes on glass, that's still an IT function. Um, but the key theme has to be is how this gets reported to the board. And it has to change from the speed and feeds kind of language to more business context language. So we've got exposure. The, and the exposure has to be in terms of this is the net impact to this asset in terms of outage, in terms of loss of revenue, in terms of reputation. Not it's a thousand fishing attempts where we've had yeah. so many deals today. And I think when it's conveyed in that fashion and manner, I think we'll see a, a step change. Yeah, and, and that's possibly where the you know us as a, a technology community can kind of step up. You think we'll see an evolution of, of those dashboards to actually start introducing more business language into it, or even I, having multiple da- dashboards for different business roles? I, I think it's happening. It, 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 the people have talked about it in the past, and, and there were solutions in the past that, that could give you that information, but it required a very mature cyber organisation to do it. And yeah. what I mean by that is if you look at the maturity journey most, most organizations are on, organizations that have done the full 27,001 implementation with their ISMS would be in a good position to do that because they've got done a lot of foundational work in terms of the people, the processes to get there. It's a question of automating the feeds into a dashboard. Uh, for the majority of customers, I would say they need to go on that kind of journey. They need to take a framework. And by that framework, you know, ISO 27001, yeah. this framework, any one of them is a starting point. And start looking at, you know, the people side of it, the process side of it, the technology piece, and then map risk into the whole, you know, across the whole piece. Yeah. Okay. And then I'd, I'd say for kind of, you know, anyone listening who's kind of working in that IT team, that cybersecurity team, what's the what's the one first step that they could, that they would suggest they make? One takeaway that's like, what the first thing they're going to do tomorrow I'd say the first thing they need to do is step back and understand what are we trying to do first, have visibility of what's going on, and then take action from there, rather than just blanketly saying, I'm going to buy these controls and just push it back. That's because that's not going to work. No. Okay, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a really fascinating chat. Much appreciated. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Neil. Thank you.